Chapter Four of Trading Jeff and His Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trading Jeff and His Dog by Jim Kilgard. Chapter Four The Cabin. The rising sun turned the tops of the mountains to gold, and like slow-flowing water, sunshine crept gradually down the slopes. In a grove of pines, a chicory came out of the warm nest where he had spent the night. Three inches from his nest, the chicory paused on an outjutting stub. A hawk winged through the pines regularly, and though it had always missed by a comfortable margin, it had struck three times at the chicory. The pines were part of a martin's beat, and the martin had chased the chicory several times. In addition, on their way to one place or another, various other predators wandered through the pines, and a few of them were averse to a eating chicory. The chicory held perfectly still, bright eyes glowing and small ears straining. Neither the hawk nor the martin were present and the chicory was puzzled, because he could see nothing else. Well, that should not be. Three big bucks were spending the season on this slope, and every night they bedded in the pines. This morning there was no sign of them. Though he could neither see nor hear anything, the chicory knew that something was present, if only because the deer were not. After five minutes, having assured himself that there was no immediate threat, the chicory set out to find whatever he had sensed. He scampered up the pine, leaped effortlessly into another, and took a different stand. Again he examined the grove. A smell of wood smoke tickled his nostrils, and the chicory knew that a man had come to the pines. That much discovered, he went into action. He leaped to another pine, raced swiftly up it, and made a leap so long that the twigs upon which he landed bent precariously. A master of aerial travel, the chicory paid no heed. Three minutes later, he found the man sleeping under a big pine. There was a huge dog beside him, and a bed of glowing coals so arranged that the heat they cast enveloped both man and dog. The chicory paused anger in his eyes he had squatter's rights in these pines and he lacked the remotest intention of sharing them with any man biting off a pine cone the chicory dropped it squarely on the man's face jeff tarrant came awake there was no lingering struggle to achieve complete wakefulness and no dropping back for another five minutes slumber because jeff had long since learned that that must never be he had to awaken instantly and at the least disturbance because there was always a possibility that he might have to get up fighting and he had a distinct impression that something had dropped on his face swift glances in all directions told him that there was nothing except pal near and jeff relaxed now he could attend to the ceremony of awakening jeff rubbed his eyes yawned stretched and rose rising with him pal saw the madly fleeing chicory following the dog's gaze jeff saw it too appalled by his own boldness the chicory was putting distance between jeff and himself as rapidly as possible 
Jeff grinned. So, he doesn't want us around either, pal. Seems to me that lately nobody's wanted anything to do with Terran Enterprises Limited. Shame on them. Pal wagged his tail and made an enthusiastic attempt to lick his master's face. Jeff pushed him away. Pal's tongue was approximately the size of a dish towel and the consistency of sandpaper. Not to be defeated, Pal got in a good number of licks on his friend's hand, and Jeff chided, Cut it out. I can wash myself. As he walked to a little runlet that trickled through the pines and washed his face and hands, Jeff thought of last night. In the valley up which he had traveled, that runlet became a good-sized stream with several deep pools. Having fallen into two of them last night, Jeff had discovered the pools the hard way, but he had achieved his purpose. It was not only possible, but highly probable, that Joe Parker and Pop had ideas which they hadn't bothered to disclose when letting Jeff out of jail. If they were able to catch him again, he would be charged with jail-breaking, and that meant six months, and six months was plenty of time to steal the pack's contents. However, even if they followed him into the mountains, they couldn't catch him. A satisfying vision of the Delview police looking for him, and of Pop and the constable hopefully waiting, formed in Jeff's mind. He grinned happily, even though he was stranded in a wilderness with no customers in sight, and no telling when he would find any. Tarrant Enterprises Limited was in business again. Jeff took his watch out, saw that it had stopped, set it for nine o'clock, and wound it. He might be an hour, two hours, or three hours off. It made no difference. Tarrant Enterprises Limited guided its fortunes by the circumstances of the moment, and not by the dial of a watch or clock. Any hour of the twenty-four, or any minute of any hour, might present a precious and never-to-be-repeated opportunity. Therefore it was better to be alert for what the moment might present, than to depend too heavily on any timepiece. Last night he had been in too much of a hurry to think of eating, and when he had finally put what he considered an adequate distance between Cressman and himself, he had been too tired. And now he took the remainder of bread and cheese from his pack and divided both in half. Chow time, he said grandly. Here, pal, a wonderful breakfast. Pal gulped his portion. Jeff ate more slowly and when he had finished the last crumb he was completely serene. It mattered not at all that he was completely out of food, or that it was an unknown distance to the next place where he would be able to buy more. By all means, the future should be carefully weighed, but the future was a great and shining promise, and lack of food a small inconvenience. Let's go, he said happily. A little breeze sang to him, and the sun warmed him and he was completely cheerful as he resumed his journey. This was a new and fresh experience, and as such it was to be treasured. Pal ran a hundred feet ahead, slowed to a walk, and further slowed to a stalk, so deliberate that he moved at a snail's pace. He looked questioningly back at Jeff. Jeff wrinkled his brows. In town, or even near other people, Pal had not moved more than a yard away, here he would leave Jeff, and that was entirely understandable, and naturally he would feel freer in the wilderness. But what did he want? Jeff halted. What's up, pal? 
the dog stared hard at a copse of brush and for a moment jeff remained still and then he advanced slowly hope i'm not doing it wrong he murmured i know you're trying to tell me something but i'm too dumb to understand your language pal stayed perfectly rigid until jeff was within five feet and then went in to flush two grouse from the brush they winged thunderously up and drummed away and a great light dawned on jeff if pal had not had a former master he would not have been wearing a collar and obviously that master had lived partly by hunting sending the grouse pal had been asking jeff as plainly as a dog can ask anything whether or not he cared to shoot them jeff petted pal and heaped praise upon him good dog he exclaimed that's the boy pal sighed ecstatically because he had pleased his master he had already helped jeff out of two difficult situations and for that alone he deserved loyalty now it became evident that he would not be wholly dead weight jeff who had learned something about dogs reviewed what he knew there were various dogs for various purposes and thus the bull was for fighting the dachshund went into burrows and dragged out whatever sort of refuge there the setter hunted game birds the hound trailed etc occasionally there was an intelligent mongrel that combined the functions of two or more such specialists it was difficult to imagine pal crawling into burrows but he had already proven his ability to hunt birds would he do anything else it occurred to jeff that he knew little about his new partner and until now he had little chance to do any probing now there was every chance heel he ordered pal fell in beside him walking at his left and just far enough away so there was no danger of collision jeff was delighted he had already discovered that pal responded perfectly to other commands and must have had much training five minutes later there came an interruption buzzing angrily through the trees a bee made straight for jeff it danced up and down in front of his face seeking a place to light jeff swiped at it with his right hand and when he did pal bounded forward swift as a deer and as graceful he raced among the trees with seeming lack of effort he leaped high the better to see what lay about him finding nothing he looked back perplexedly come on jeff coaxed come on pal pal returned and jeff petted him fondly and now he knew something else about the dog a hand waved forward was pal's signal to look for game jeff stored the knowledge away pending the time it might be useful pal ranged ahead and on both sides jeff strode on the mountain had been steep but its summit was a broad plateau covered with pine forest and somewhere in the distant peaks that jeff could see must lie the town of smithville sooner or later he would get there and if he needed two or three days that was all right he was enjoying the hike and the farther away smithville was the farther he'd be from cressman he stopped to rest at a pond that fed a stream and saw trout in the clear waters removing his pack he opened the right compartment and took from it a fishing line and a box of hooks he tied a hook to the line cut a pole from a copse of willows growing beside the pond kicked a rock over and gathered up the fat worms beneath it baited and cast 
A dozen trout rushed the bait. One got it, and Jeff landed him. He continued to cast until he had nine trout. Jeff dressed them, washed them, took a grill and salt and pepper from the pack, and cooked his fish. Pal cleaned up all the heads, all the bones, and four trout. Jeff ate the rest, smacking his lips over them, and entirely happy. This, he sighed, is the way to live. They descended into a valley and were crossing a field when a rabbit flushed in front of them. White tail flashing, it streaked through the grass. Jeff waved his right arm, and Pal raced forward so effortlessly that he almost seemed to float. He overtook the fleeing rabbit and snatched it up. The rabbit, dangling from his jaws, he trotted back and laid his game in Jeff's hand. Jeff laughed in sheer delight. Almost always he canvassed the back country, because that was the only place where usually he could be pretty sure of doing good business. But he had been so interested in his customers that he had had little time for the wilderness. Now there was an opportunity to see and observe, and he liked everything around him. He still wanted to wander, but if he ever did settle down, it would be in such a place. The two camped that night in another grove of pines, not knowing where they were, and not caring, and Jeff broiled the rabbit. It was stringy and tough, but hunger proved a powerful sauce, and when Jeff chewed and swallowed the last few shreds of meat, he felt as though he had partaken of princely fare. "'I wouldn't mind if this went on for a long while,' he told the contented pal. "'I like it almost as much as you do.' He arranged a fire to reflect against a fallen tree trunk, slept soundly all night, and awakened with the dawn. There was nothing for breakfast, but there had been nothing for a lot of breakfasts, and it made little difference. Sooner or later they would eat, and this morning it was sooner. No more than four hundred yards from their camp, they reached a brawling little stream that raced frantically downslope. Again Jeff strung his tackle and caught trout. He laid them in the grill and was about to build a fire when Pal growled. It was a sound so soft that nothing more than a few feet away would have heard it. Jeff looked quickly at the dog and glanced around the forest. He saw nothing. Pal was on all fours, straining into the wind, and he growled again. Again Jeff found nothing. Leaving the pack and fish, Jeff stole to a big pine about thirty feet away and crouched behind it, he whispered, Down. Pal lay down, and Jeff continued to watch. Two minutes later, he saw a man coming through the forest. Very tall and very thin, the man was dressed in a sun-faded shirt from which half of the right sleeve was missing. Protruding from it, what could be seen of his right arm, had been scorched by so much sun that it was almost black. His left sleeve was tied at the wrist. As dilapidated as the shirt, his gray trousers ended six inches above scuffed shoes, and an expanse of naked leg showed that he wore no socks. A luxuriant beard covered his face, and curly black hair dangled over his ears and down the back of his head. In many parts of the country, Jeff had seen other men who might have been this one's twin. Obviously a hillbilly, he carried a carbine as though it were a part of him. He lingered behind a pine about fifty yards from Jeff's pack, and for a full minute he regarded it closely. Then, making no noise whatever, 
he approached and prodded the pack with his foot as he looked curiously at the grill of trout jeff spoke that's mine stranger the man whirled shouldered the carbine and put it down again jeff rose bristling his lips slightly lifted pal stayed very near pal knew what jeff could not the man was bar whitney and presently he spoke i won't go to touch it i know that jeff had a customer i can see that you're an honest man but i thought i'd better make sure first right smart idea bar whitney looked swiftly at pal and glanced back at jeff his eyes revealed nothing but he kept the carbine down expecting a flow of questions jeff was momentarily disconcerted when his visitor did not speak jeff glanced at the knife on his belt with a six-inch blade the point of the knife was thrust into a deerskin sheath and there was a six-inch guard that protected the cutting edge sparkling keen the blade probably was made out of an old file and fitted with an ingenious hilt of deer antler jeff watched the knife for only a split second homemade it was the work of an artist and jeff knew of lowlanders who would pay a good price for it but he must not let the stranger know this bar whitney remained silent and jeff said nothing often it was productive of the best results to fit his own mood to that of a potential customer jeff flicked his pack open took from it a clasp knife that was almost a small tool chest within itself removed the trout from the grill and arranged them on a slab of bark he became absorbed in the grill opening the file on the clasp knife he filed a sharp point from the grill's wire handle he closed the file opened a long pointed blade and cut the fish's heads off as he did so he brushed the grill with his trousers caught a loose thread which was always purposely loosened and snipped it off with the scissors that the clasp knife also contained carefully he worked with the awl blade poking the cut thread back into place bar whitney watched silently and then said give me leave to look at it sure without looking at the other jeff gave him the knife he started a fire laid the trout back on the grill and started cooking them jeff seasoned the fish and asked had breakfast yep jeff gave half the trout to pal and gravely stripped the flesh from his own share he gave pal the stripped bones went down to the stream dug a handful of sand from it and scrubbed the grill clean bar whitney was still opening and closing the blade scissors awl screwdriver file and fork that folded into the clasp knife stag handle he spoke good knife yeah jeff agreed how much six dollars silence followed jeff who had guessed that bar whitney was as likely to have six thousand as six dollars made up his pack the other spoke again you swap maybe for what your rifle the other jumped as though stung jeff who knew that it's as easy to trade a hillbilly out of his hand as to separate him from his rifle continued to work calmly the pack never cumbersome could be made so when he wanted to gain time 
Bar Whitney asked. Trade knives? Let's see yours. Stripping the knife from his belt, Bar handed it to Jeff. Betraying nothing of what he thought, Jeff unsheathed the homemade weapon. Razor sharp, it was exquisitely balanced, and so finely made, that blade of steel and hilt of horn flowed into each other as smoothly and as naturally as two placid creeks mingle their waters. Ordinarily, Jeff was able to do little in towns and cities, but he could, if he had merchandise like this to offer. Aside from being highly practical, the knife was a collector's item. Jeff handed it back. Guess not. What do you want? Two knives like that. Smirking faintly, Bar Whitney thrust a hand inside his shirt and brought out the twin to the first knife. Obviously, he'd been wearing it in a shoulder sheath. He dropped both knives beside Jeff, and for the first time there was a change in his expression. His eyes were gleeful, as though he'd been too sharp for the peddler, and he clutched the clasp knife firmly. Jeff said in pretended disappointment, "'Guess I talked myself out of that one.' "'Yes, you did.' "'Well, I do sometimes. Which way is it to Smithville?' Bar Whitney pointed down a valley. "'Thar.' "'How far?' A piece. Without further comment, Barwhitney turned and strode into the forest. Jeff shouldered his pack and looked at Pal. The dog stood erect, still faintly bristled as he looked after the departing man, and Jeff wondered why. He shrugged. Some people just naturally roused the dog to anger, and it was not important. Jeff started toward Smithville. Ike had spoken highly of Smithville and in Ike's eyes its virtue lay in the fact that people there minded their own business. What Jeff had seen bore that out. Hillbillies were independent, not at all inclined to meddle in the affairs of others or to having their own investigated. Scornful of anyone who wore an officer's badge, they were quick to take violent action if what they considered their personal rights were violated. But usually they did not bother those who let them alone. Jeff strolled in the direction Bar Whitney had indicated. Somewhere ahead lay Smithville, and Bar Whitney had given him a completely new idea. This could not be a wealthy land if the man Jeff had met was any indication of its riches. Shut off from the world and with little money, the hill people must of necessity do for themselves, and few of them were satisfied to have everything slipshod. It naturally followed that they would have brought handicraft to a high perfection. Jeff planned as he walked. Seldom had Jeff even tried to peddle in any town larger than Cressman. In big cities he could do no business at all. But not all of the people in cities were contented with the monotonous sameness of the stamped and stereotyped products available to them. They had lost the art of handicraft themselves, but some still appreciated it and were able to pay for it. On the other hand, there was an excellent chance that the inhabitants of these mountains, lacking the money to buy city goods, would be eager to trade for them. Jeff began to whistle. Pal, he said happily. Maybe, just maybe, Tarrant Enterprises Limited is about to become an even bigger business. Pal was padding ahead, glancing from side to side, and making eager little excursions into the brush and forest. This was his country. 
times without number he had walked through these same woods with johnny blazer returning excited him he went from a boulder to a patch of brush and from there to a stump his tail wagged constantly as once again he saw all the old landmarks that were so familiar and so dear not understanding jeff wondered they came to a footpath jeff followed pal down the path not knowing where it led but sure that it would take them somewhere if it didn't bring them to smithville it would certainly lead them to some house whose inhabitants could tell him exactly how to get there and jeff was in no hurry he was naturally footloose and the woods were free jeff knew a mounting disinclination to go to smithville at once it would suit him better to camp in the open again tonight the path joined a road there were wagon tracks hoof prints and even tire tracks left by venturesome drivers of automobiles jeff came to a sure sign of the latter a blown tire lying beside the road and shook a sympathetic head he did not share the views of those who proclaim cars a passing fad they would be the conveyance of the future if only because they could travel as far in one hour as a horse could in three their many faults were sure to be corrected pal frolicked like a puppy ears shaking and tail wagging as he bounced around with a wide canine grin on his mouth when he came to another dim footpath leading out of the woods he halted to look inquiringly back at his master hesitantly he had not yet had any assurance that jeff wanted to visit it he looked longingly toward johnny blazer's cabin wondering what pal wanted now jeff halted beside him the cabin was hidden by trees and from this distance no part of it could be seen and then a puff of wood smoke drifted to jeff's nostrils and the cabin betrayed itself with pal dancing eagerly ahead he started up the path fifty yards from the road he came to johnny blazer's cabin and halted uncertainly the place looked abandoned of the two windows he could see a pane of glass was missing from each still smoke drifted from the chimney obviously someone was living in the cabin jeff knocked on the door nobody answered he knocked again and when there was no response he walked in a homemade chair with one broken leg lay upended on the floor there were a few broken dishes a stove scattered papers and dust wind blew through empty panes where glass had been about to go farther in for a closer inspection jeff was halted by a near hysterical command all right mister raise both hands and raise em high certainly jeff agreed pleasantly anything to oblige jeff raised both hands and heard turn around he turned to confront the yawning muzzles of a double-barreled eight-gauge shotgun holding it and dwarfed by it but never flinching was a blazing-eyed boy who could not possibly be more than ten years old End of chapter four